Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, and it is my pleasure to introduce you today to Dr. Jeff Standridge. Jeff, how are you doing today? Man, I am fantastic. In fact, I said earlier, if I was any better, I'd have to be twins so I could enjoy it all. <laughs> and as I told you earlier, I love that, and I've never heard it before. I love that. No, I'm having a great time. Okay, well, that's great. And I know you're out there in Arkansas. How's the weather today? You know, it's actually it's actually getting ready to rain, but it's uh, we've had a lot of rain li- lately. But it's about uh, oh, about seventy five degrees, so it's yeah. it's nice. It's yeah, nice. It's same here in Austin, Texas, by the way. So we're we're kind of in the uh, some proximity to where we are. So uh, you know, first of all, do you like to be called Doctor Jeff or just Jeff? Just call me Jeff. Let's call you me know? Jeff. Okay. Well, I will tell you what, you call me Doctor Pele. You want to know why? You got it. You want to know why they told. Well, exactly. They told us after PhD school, hey, don't walk around being ashamed of your education. <laughs> so I took it personally. And I, I, I get it. I, I keep trying to get my wife to call me Dr. Jeff, but she won't. <laughs> she, she won't do it. <laughs> and and the other thing is, you know, have you heard of Dr. Dre? He's like this big yeah. musician guy. Okay, well, it doesn't hurt. You know, Dr. Dre, Dr. Pelé. <laughs> the only thing that my wife calls me Dr. Jeff is when I do something really stupid. <laughs> Then you know. Then you know something's going to happen. Okay. Way to go, Doctor Jeff! All right. Well, uh, you know, Jeff Standridge, you are a very successful leadership and executive coach. Um, I can't wait to hear you know all the things you've done to get to where you are to become this uh, coach for big ticket clients. You know, if we were to just sort of boil it down to your becoming story, how did you sort of come out of the woodworks from wherever you lived in Arkansas and become the success you are today? I'd love to start with that. You know, it's an interesting story. I, I grew up in a town of 1,200 people, uh, first-generation college student, and uh, I went to the University of Central Arkansas, interestingly, on a music scholarship because uh, I uh, it was a way to pay for college. And uh, my first semester, I made the very first D I'd ever made in my life. I thought I was going to be a finance major, so I took an intro to finance course and made the very first D that I'd ever made in my life um, and crammed a four-year degree into, into five and a half years. <laughs> I told someone that I'd, I'd never really became a good student till my second senior year. And they say, you had two senior years. And I said, no, I had two and a half senior years. <laughs> I, uh, I was, I was really a struggling student, uh, worked my way through college full time. And, um, you know, I, uh, I ended up becoming an EMT and then ultimately a paramedic and a respiratory therapist. I worked for about nine years, part-time and full-time on the helicopter team at Arkansas Children's Hospital. And, ultimately became a professor at the University of Arkansas for medical sciences and, and thought I was going to retire as a, uh, a, a professor in a medical college. And I was, my academic interest was in studying the differences between top 1% of performers and middle 50%. So what is it that differentiates the real rock stars from the vast majority of people in the workforce? And uh, was doing that predominantly in the healthcare space and, and a company called Axiom Corporation located a publicly traded company located in Arkansas wanted to replicate that research for their IT professionals inside the company. And so started a little consulting project with them and 
20 years later, uh, I retired from Axiom, having worked on five continents, uh, probably involved in three dozen mergers and, and acquisitions and or new business startups mm-hmm. from Poland to China to Saudi Arabia and Brazil. Had the opportunity to test my leadership and, and high performance theories on five continents in multiple countries. And and uh, now I've, I've uh, retired from Axiom where I do uh, executive coaching and, and business coaching uh, full time uh, now. And so that's that's kind of my story. That's an amazing story. And, and I have to say, in every great story, there's always that time when you crash and you almost burn and everything is almost lost. I would love to know, do you have a time in your process, your story, where you thought, this is not going to work? I mean, I, I can't do what, what lessons did you learn when it all went wrong? Right. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, so the real t- two stories, one I've already slightly alluded to is, is that first D that I'd ever made. So I had a cousin who was a banker. Mm. 11th grade education. He sold a very successful uh, uh, poultry feed business to uh, to a large conglomerate and bought a bank with his proceeds. Mm. And he said, you go up there to that college and you get you one of those finance degrees. And when you do, you come back down here and I'll teach you how to be a banker. Mm-hmm. And the very first finance course I ever took, uh, I made a D. And I oh, went, no. Nope, not gonna, only <laughs> D I ever had made before that and the only D I ever made since. Ironically, 30 years later, I teach entrepreneurial finance at the graduate level in that same college. Wow. University. But, but so that was, that was my first of really who am I? And, and, and then after I graduated college, uh, some five and a half, six years later, I was working on the helicopter team at Arkansas Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And up to that point, uh, all the way through junior high and high school, the only job I had ever had was working at a gas station and muffler shop, a service station and muffler shop. Mm. So by the ninth grade, I could cut the exhaust system off of a vehicle and I could rebend the pipes and weld all the pipes together to put an exhaust system and muffler back on. Wow. And you I, still, can you still do that today? You know, I haven't done it in about 35 years. <laughs> I don't know, I don't but, uh, you know, I could change the oil. I could change yeah. the flat. Uh-huh. I could change the brakes and shocks and those kinds of things. Light, light mechanics. Mm-hmm. Well, the gentleman, uh, I guess it was my first year out of college. I was getting ready to get married and, and he had had this gas station service station for, for 40 years and he was just going to close it. Mm-hmm. I said, no, 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 don't, don't close the business. Just sell it to me and I'll hire somebody to run it for me. And, and probably my very first lesson in business was nobody will ever run your business like you will run your business. Nobody will ever care about your customers the way you care about your customers. Wow. And so, uh, I lost my shirt. Uh, I, I, I uh, newly about to be newly married. I had borrowed money to buy this this uh, uh, this service station, and I had to walk into that banker and say, I, I, "I can't, I don't have the money to pay you back right now." Mm-hmm. And said, well, how much can you pay a month? And so, for the next ten years, I physically wrote a check to that banker for one hundred and fifty dollars a month. Wow, good for you! And so, I call that my character builder. <laughs> that uh, that. No, you know, as I said, nobody will care about your customers or, or, or manage your business like you'll manage your business. Mm-hmm. It also taught me that there, there are good lenders in the world yeah. and you got to stick by your word and your commitment. Well, you know, one of the things you said here is you said, I lost my shirt. Now, I, I don't know if that's something people say in Arkansas, but that's new to me and I love it. You know, it's a, a way of saying, you know, it was done. I, 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 I couldn't. 
Yeah, I lost it all. I'm going to have to write that down. I lost my shirt. <laughs> so, so you know, you are obviously a, a rags to riches or rags to education to riches story. Tell us a little bit about the research itself, the top 1% of performance. What did you find out? What did you learn about what separates those folks from the rest? So it really boils down. There are a lot of details, but I can, I can bring it up a level and talk about the, the two R's. Okay. So if you imagine a set of scales, uh, so the, the, what they call the scales of justice or the legal scales, the ones where you put balances on one end and you, 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 you see how much something weighs. Mm-hmm. If you think about on one side of those scales, results, and on the other side of those scales, relationships. Mm. That is the key. Balancing those two, that's the key to high performance in any setting, whether you're a formal leader and you have people reporting to you, whether you're a salesperson or whether you're a, an individual contributor within a, a, a small, medium, or large company. Mm-hmm. If I focus on results at the expense of relationships, mm-hmm. I will be wildly successful very, very quickly until I alienate everyone around me yeah. who's responsible for helping me maintain those results. True. If I focus on relationships at the expense of results, people will love me. They'll say, oh, that Jeff Standards, he's such a great guy. and enjoy spending time with him until they lose respect for me because I can't deliver results or I can't do what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I lose them both. And in any instance, if I focus on one at the expense of the other, I end up losing them both in the long term. That's the key to high performance. Now, there are things within results that uh, that you have to know, like uh, managing your time and managing your priorities and and making the right level of commitments and understanding what you're committing to and project management and those kinds of things. Over on the relationship side, there's tr- being trustworthy and trusting others and communication and, and conflict resolution and what have you. So there, there are things below those two aspects. But if you can just remember this results and relationship balance, uh, that's what I learned. I could not agree with you more. And in fact, I learned that lesson the hard way. Uh, I was I was the results guy for many years uh, in my youth. <laughs> you too, right? Um, and then, you know, I, I woke up one day and said, hey, wait a second. Uh, there's nobody here. <laughs> so, no, very, very true. Um, tell you us. Know, someone, once said, someone once said, if you think you're leading, yeah. then look behind you. And if no one's following you, then you're just taking a walk. Exactly. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, Tell us a little bit about the people that you serve right now, the companies, the, 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 the clients. What challenges do they have in their businesses? What, what do they do? Who are they? Well, so I work with um, uh, uh, big ticket clients who are uh, looking to either disrupt the status quo, create massive value, or generate sustained results. Uh, and, and generally what's happening is they are being – uh, acted upon by some type of outside force. Mm-hmm. There's a need to grow profit. There's a need to grow uh, um, uh, 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 revenue. There's a need to uh, build a, a stronger team or a more diverse team. There's a need to, they're, they're being, they're experiencing change. So for instance, a, a number of my clients are in the healthcare uh, industry mm-hmm. where the the healthcare industry is going through a rapid amount of change in terms of the way payers reimburse and and in terms of the kinds of um, smaller disruptions in the terms of startup companies that are coming onto the scene with the use of uh, artificial intelligence and data and data analytics. And so uh, so I work with a number of those, and it's really to help them step back and look at what's the problem they're trying to solve, what's the opportunity that they need to seize, uh, or what's the change that they're facing. Mm-hmm. 
help them craft a plan to uh, to solve that problem. And in many instances, uh, they want me to come alongside them and actually uh, work through the execution of that as well. Mm-hmm. So help tech or tech enabled companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I have found myself recently, <clears throat> excuse me, more by accident than, than uh, in reality, because you don't normally think of these as large ticket clients, but I've begun working with a number of larger nonprofits mm. who are experiencing some of the same kinds of things. Mm, absolutely. You know, <clears throat> it's interesting how so many of us getting to, we get into coaching or consulting <clears throat> because we're really good at what we do, right? We are, we, we, we're knowledgeable. We've done research, you know, we've written books and then we wake up and realize, wait a second, uh, I have to be a marketer and a salesperson primarily. <laughs> when, when you found yourself in that sort of uh, conundrum, uh, how did you solve it? And how do you market and sell to get these big, big ticket clients right now? So I literally, uh, my last four years with that large company that I spoke about, um, mm-hmm. I was actually leading a North American sales team. Oh. So I had the opportunity to immerse myself in the skills and disciplines of prospecting and sales and consultative sales. And, and because I had some 40 sales agents around the country, around mm-hmm. the world, really uh, working for me. And I needed to feel as though I could equip them mm-hmm. to be successful. I, I, I think about if, if I get up and I help those folks be successful, then ultimately I'm going to gain success in the end. Absolutely. Uh, otherwise, if I focus on my own success, I'm going to alienate those folks back to results and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, I had to very rapidly immerse myself in the skills and disciplines of sales and marketing so that I could help my sales professionals be successful. And that has really been transformational for me in my, in my own business as well. And wow. I actually, some of the, some of my clients that I work with, and, and we, I didn't finish the, the, the statement a few moments ago. So my ideal clients are, are senior executives. So that's CEOs, CIOs, uh, chief uh, uh, operating officers, heads of HR, chief revenue officers, mm-hmm. uh, senior VPs, and et cetera, who are facing a challenge uh, that's generally created by some outside force, and they need to steer their team or organization in a different direction, uh, and, and or they need to be a better executive themselves. Mm-hmm. And that actually includes uh, a, a number of sales executives and chief revenue officers or chief sales officers. So in coaching those folks, I've also come to learn a lot about what to do and what not to do in the sales and marketing space as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of people these days, you know, pick up a a slogan and say, I'm a coach. (laughs) They don't have any, you know, research, degrees, certifications, experience, but they call themselves coaches. Since you've done all that the right way, do you have any sort of fun or great stories that you like to reference of how you took an executive, one of these big ticket clients, and you help them become successful as a leader, as an implementer of execution in their organization or, or something like that. Sure. Do, you have, do you have any favorite stories? Absolutely. I have, I have two if I can share those. Absolutely. So one of them was with a large healthcare organization. Uh, I'd say fairly large, large uh, uh, regionally, mm-hmm. and where they were trying to decide how to cultivate a culture of innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they wanted to change and, and transform their entire leadership team of about 100 folks. Mm-hmm. And so we put that together, the idea for an innovation tournament where we actually brought them to an offsite location. Uh, there were just shy of 195 or 96 folks. Yeah. And we did a little bit of work around what is innovation and what are some of the skills and disciplines of innovation and, and, and how, does, how, how does teamwork fit into the equation, leadership and teamwork fit into the equation of, of innovation. Mm-hmm. So we took some time to, to educate them on innovation and the skills and disciplines of innovation and how leadership and teamwork 
come together to fuel innovation and how it's critical to innovation. And then we put them at tables and they were to identify uh, the single greatest problems that they saw in helping the health system grow and, and transform uh, over time. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, each of those teams had to present their problems, the research that they had uncovered that substantiated those problems and their solutions and ideas for solving those problems. Mm-hmm. And we ended up choosing the top three teams and I then coached those teams over the course of the next three months to really flesh out their solutions. And they presented those solutions to the board of directors at their strategic board retreat three months later. Mm-hmm. At the end of that, we chose the winner and each member of that team received a thousand dollars. Each member of the two runner up teams received three hundred dollars and the and the board and the senior executive team pledged fifty thousand dollars of investment in order to implement one or more of those three ideas, the finalist ideas that were presented. Hmm. And so that really, that, that three month process launched a culture change within that organization that's still evolving very, very positively. And I'm still involved in coaching some of those executives through the process of how to cultivate innovation within that organization. And you said you had a second story. What was that one? Yeah. So, um, I work with a, a, and actually a marketing firm mm-hmm. and, they work with uh, with political candidates, and uh, we went in, and, and they, they they hire folks who don't have any sales experience, mm-hmm. and they, um, in doing so, they uh, they bring them in because of the relationships that they have around the different political venues around the states and what have you, mm-hmm. and they needed some sales development and some sales coaching, so we've been working with them uh, for the last couple of years in coaching some of the. The uh, about four of the top producing salespeople, but also providing ongoing development and support for the other sales organization and to the senior executives there. Mm-hmm. And we've helped them transform their revenue picture over the last couple of years uh, in, in uh, more than double digit growth or high double digit growth mm-hmm. uh, from one year to the next. And so we're working, I guess, on our third relationship, uh, third contract period with that with that high ticket client as well. Have one more that I'm working with starting tomorrow and Friday. It's a, uh, a publishing uh, company. It's a business publishing magazine, business magazine. And we're taking their entire staff uh, offsite uh, and we're going to be working with them on driving some uh, leadership and innovation around uh, a number of problems that the senior leadership empowered the staff to come up with. Yeah. Uh, things like how do they solve issues around mentoring and communication and professional development and community service mm-hmm. within the employee population. And so. You know, what's interesting is that your formula that you shared earlier about how to be successful as a a leader or an executive and so on uh, was results and relationships. Turns out that I found that the way to be successful to market to and sell to big ticket clients requires results and relationships. A lot more than, you know, as we talked earlier, um, you know, if I'm selling a $79 course, I don't even need to see you. You just click on my link and go buy it, right? We, we don't need that relationship. And you don't really need evidence that I did anything. I could say I went to the moon and it doesn't matter. Good ad copy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good ad copy. So tell us in your marketing process, for those who want to achieve the success you've, you've obviously achieved, maybe you can share some nuggets of how results and relationships factor into the equation of getting big ticket clients. So the first thing you have to know is who precisely is your target audience. And I've made a lot of mistakes in the past 
of of going after too broad broadly of an audience. Uh-huh. And you might get a lot of opt in emails, and you might get a lot of people visiting your site, but they're not the right people. Yeah. So your ad spend is being wasted on people who are never going to do anything for you yeah. uh, or with you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think I've heard someone say before, one of the things you need to do is become a rock star in your own town. <laughs> really seek out the people in your network mm-hmm. um, to, to go and, and spend some time with, but, but, but don't focus on trying to sell them something. Absolutely. I always say, don't talk about your offering, your product, your service until your client or your prospect has generated at least a degree of interest yes. in what it is in the benefits that you provide, the mm-hmm. results that you provide. Mm-hmm. That's the quickest way to break the relationship is to try to sell someone something that you're not sure if they need it or not. Yeah. So, so I would say that 70% of the selling process, really closer to 90% of the selling process is, a, is about consulting, mm. building a trust-based relationship, mm-hmm. adequately and accurately understanding the needs of that potential client, the mm-hmm. real need. And then mapping a solution, if you have one, if you have the capability of solving those needs or serving those needs, mapping a solution specifically back to those needs and presenting it to the client. That's 90% of the selling process. If you do that and you do that well, then closing is 10% of the process and it almost occurs naturally. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, When I first started uh, calls, if you will, closing calls, I... I, I learned the small ticket strategy, which is try to get someone in a meeting and sell them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've actually since broken up my meetings into at least two or maybe even more because mm-hmm. I don't want the first meeting to have anything to do with content. Um, it's just a, it's a connection meeting really to connection qual- and discovery and, and qualification and discovery. Exactly. What, what nuggets have you learned or what other things have you learned that people can do specifically to become better at marketing and selling to big ticket clients? You know, what little tips like that? So, well, if you want big ticket clients, here's exactly what I would do. Mm-hmm. I would start in your area of influence. And most most business magazines uh, have what they call a book of lists. Mm-hmm. And it's the list of the largest banks, the largest engineering firms, the largest publicly tra- uh, privately traded co- or private companies, rather, the largest insurance agencies. Find those companies that could be potential big ticket clients in your niche Mm -hmm. and generate your dream list 100. Who are the 100 people, not Mm -hmm. just the organizations, but the people with whom you would like to do business. Mm -hmm. That may be an organization and there may be multiple people in that organization. There's the CEO, the COO, the CIO, and the head of HR. Mm -hmm. And then find ways to make connections with them, get connected with them on LinkedIn, Uh, send them something of value, Mm -hmm. send them a, a package. Uh, you know, I have copies of my book that I will occasionally send with a note that says, mm-hmm. just wanted to, thought you might uh, find this useful. Or I might find an article or something that I will send to them and say, read this article and I thought about you. Mm-hmm. After you've built some form of a relationship with them, offer to take them to coffee, offer to come to their office and, and meet with them that you'd love to love to, to uh, strengthen the connection and get to know them a little better. Mm-hmm. And in that meeting, do everything in your power to refrain from s- offering to sell anything. Do do three things. Number one, establish the connection and 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 reestablish the connection if necessary, yep. and, and mm-hmm. or make that connection. Number two, deeply understand their current landscape. What's going on in their business? What's keeping them awake? What challenges are they experiencing? And number three, offer them some nuggets of value without asking for anything in return. 
Absolutely. Even if they say, can you help me with that? You know, that's, that's a great idea. Could you help me do that? Refrain from trying to sell them in that meeting. Step yeah. back and say, you know, I, I, perhaps I could. Let me let me give that some thought, and because I want to, I don't want to jump out there and say I could. Let me give that some thought, and I'll and I'll come back to you in a day or two. Which is a discipline. It's not always easy. It is a it is a uh, very much a discipline, and mm-hmm. it's I would say not only is it not always easy mm-hmm. for me, the results oriented person, I want to close them and get out of there. Right? <laughs> yeah, very difficult. So. So yeah, that's you know, give them some ideas, give them some nuggets of value, give them some something something that they could go and implement today. Yeah, uh, but refrain from selling, and then when they even if they ask you, or if or if they don't ask you, go back to your office a couple of days later. Say, hey, Bill, really appreciated your time. Uh, really uh, uh, appreciated getting to know kind of the challenges you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. I did have an idea that I would like to share with you. Share another nugget of value. Mm-hmm that's tied to a capability that you have mm-hmm. and say, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'd, I'd love to come down sit down with you one more time. Isn't it interesting how uh, indirect selling <laughs> or finding a way not to be seen as selling is the most powerful way to sell. Right. And, right. and, and uh, it's almost like sometimes you got to learn that the hard way, but here it is, you know, Jeff, you're telling them exactly what it is, right? That's right. That's right. And, 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 you know, um, uh, if you, if you would make an arrangement uh, or the discipline, block your calendar to have three of those three of those conversations a day, mm-hmm. and do that for ninety days. Get good at it. You'd get good at it, and mm-hmm. your world would be transformed. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, Jeff, you are just a wealth of, of knowledge, and in fact, you've written several books. Is it two books or more? Well, I've got I've got uh, three that are in in physical versions. I've got yeah. some other books that I've used more as as. Uh, 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 giveaways for clients and prospective clients and what I, but I have, I have a couple of books that I've written that are, that are the, the that have become bestsellers. One's called the innovators field guide, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, accelerators for entrepreneurs, innovators, and change agents. Mm-hmm. And the other one's called the top performers field guide catalyst for leaders, superstars, and all who aspire to be. And this really encompasses a lot of that research that we talked about a few moments ago. Yeah. Uh, my days as a, as a researcher. Wow. If people want to get a hold of you, maybe get those books, maybe even work with you, what is your favorite channel? What, uh, how should people connect with you? Uh, they can easily reach me at Jeff, uh, uh, jeffstandards.com, www.jeffstandards.com. Uh, on Facebook, I have a page called Jeff Standards Innovation Partners, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm also on LinkedIn as well. And they can always email me directly at jeff at jeffstandards.com. That goes directly to my inbox, not to a an autoresponder or not to someone else who answers it for me. It comes directly to me. Yeah, we'll we'll have some of those in the show notes. But Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your stories, your wisdom, and your advice about how to get big ticket clients. Uh, Congratulations for such a successful story yourself. Thank you. I appreciate you, doctor. It's been fantastic working with you and talking with you. And, And if there's anything I can do to help you or support you in any way, please call on me. All right. You take care. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.